The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Frank Latuka, Olin and Angela, Michael Bolick, The Joe Q Car Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Jim Wright, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for November 6th, 2020. This is your old boy, Justin Robert Young. Oh, my God, do I feel refreshed. I feel refreshed, ladies and gentlemen. I snapped out of my uh, uh, 48-hour disaster survival mode of, of, uh, I got my run in this morning. Whoa, I'm feeling regular, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling back to normal. We're going to have a great show here for you. We got your mailbag. We have an interview with one of my favorite people to talk to, just in general, because he's just a great dude. He contains multitudes. He is Kevin Ryan. He will join us a little bit later here on the show. Uh, We're also going to talk a little bit about the shedding of presidential power and what it looks like. But first! Pennsylvania. Georgia. Arizona and Nevada and maybe North Carolina. Let's count those votes. All right, here is the latest as of 9.17 in the morning on the West Coast. I don't suspect that this will particularly change all that much, at least in the broad scope. The numbers might get larger. Overnight, it was flip, 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 Philadelphia. Pennsylvania is now in the blue column, and it is tight, tight like a tiger. Uh, About 9,000 votes now, it is expected that Joe Biden's margin there will increase. Georgia, even tighter. We are talking in the the sub-5,000 range with 98% of the vote now in. Joe Biden looks to be a winner there, although that will undergo a mandated state recount. And the margins, at least as of now, would be enough for it to swing. It likely will not matter, however. Before we go out west, let's go to some good news for Donald Trump. It does appear that he will hold on to his win in North Carolina. Uh, A reminder that we still don't have a call in that Senate race, Tom Tillis versus Cal Cunningham. God knows what's happening with Alaska. That's really all I have to say there. That's not called. It almost assuredly is going to be a Trump victory. But here's where it really, really matters. Uh, Arizona, with 93% of the votes reporting, it doesn't look like he will be able to close that, uh, that state. Joe Biden's lead does seem it's, it's thin, 
but it seems like it will hold. And despite the fact that Nevada is also very, very close, all the remaining votes that have yet to be tabulated in the Silver State are from Clark County. That is where Las Vegas and the largest population hub uh, of the state are. That's likely to go Democratic. Cash your ticket if you are Joe Biden. Head to the pay window. And with that, Joe Biden will be the president-elect, at least according to these numbers. To be honest, George is the only thing that I could see realistically flipping. And that's only because the, the, the lead is so small. Uh, again, whenever you recount, it's very rare that you find tens, let alone hundreds of thousands of votes. And, and they're like, these states are close, man. These states are really, 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 really close. I mean, even, you know, Wisconsin, and Michigan, we are within a hundred thousand, within twenty thousand. Uh, you know, Wisconsin turned out to be tighter than Michigan, which nobody really saw. Uh, this was an insanely close election, but if everything hung on one state like it did with Florida in two thousand, it'd be one thing. Hell, if it hung on two states, it'd be another. But right now, you're talking about recounts finding statistically unlikely amounts of votes in one, two, three, four states. And that's 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 probably going to be a bridge too far. Now, last night, Donald Trump comes out uh, uh, to address the media, he looks sullen. He says that there has been a, a voter fraud, but even then, you're seeing some of the regular allies on the right that are saying, "Like, well, look, give us something to fight about. Find find us the the place in Clark County that you say there are." 5,000 votes that you have a tip off that they were manufacturing votes. Hell, you know, give them in in Georgia that, that pipe that burst in state farm arena that is in Fulton County. That is where uh, a heavily democratic County give them something. If there is nothing, then that's, you don't, you're not even giving your allies a roadmap. You're just kind of throwing dirt in the air. Here is the statement from the Trump campaign released today. This election is not over. The false projection of Joe Biden as the winner is based on results of four states that are far from final. Georgia's headed for a recount where we're confident that we'll find ballots were improperly harvested and where President Trump will ultimately prevail. There were also many irregularities in Pennsylvania, including having election officials prevent our volunteers, our volunteer legal observers from having meaningful access to vote counting locations. We prevailed in court on our challenge, but were deprived of valuable time and denied the transparency we are entitled to under state law. In Nevada, there appear to be thousands of individuals who improperly cast in mail ballots. 
Finally, the president is on course to win Arizona outright, despite the irresponsible and erroneous calling of the state for Biden by Fox News and the Associated Press. Biden is relying on those states for his phony claim to the White House. But once again, once the election is final, President Trump will be reelected. So just look at what the roadmap that even they're laying out for their followers Many irregular irregularities in Pennsylvania. Okay, that doesn't really give you a whole lot to hang your hat on. You can complain about your observers not being in there, but what does that mean for the count? Uh, Georgia, they're saying that ballots have been improperly harvested, but that's a recount state anyway, so let's throw that out. So you don't really have a charge in Pennsylvania. Georgia is what it is. Nevada... There appear to be thousands of individuals who improperly cast in mail ba- uh, cast mail ballots. All right, but we're going to need more specifics there. And then they're saying that they just need to count the vote in Arizona. But right now, that doesn't look like he is on track to win there. So, uh, I mean, what's going to happen over the next 24 hours, if not by the end of this podcast, is that somebody's going to call this race. The AP or Fox News is going to call this race, probably. And if and when that happens, that's when we start to see the rubber hit the road a little bit. Like, I actually don't have a problem with Donald Trump saying whatever he said last night or his campaign is saying now before the calls. The If you are playing to the whistle then the campaign is still going until the calls come in. Once the calls come in, that's when everything starts stinking like bad cheese. Because that traditionally is the whistle that ends the game. In fact, that's usually what the campaigns agree upon is that within 15 minutes of the AP call that they will facilitate a concession call from one campaign to the other. That hasn't happened yet. We'll see what happens when that moment hits imminently. This just in, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will address the nation at 8 p.m. tonight. It is just the latest sign of what I want you all to pay attention to over the next month. Because we tend to focus on, I think, the wrong things. And we have with Trump for a very long time. And now that he is not long for presidential power, I would like to just show you how it's going to diminish. This is the natural shedding of presidential power. This is how it happens. I always say this on this podcast. There is no power but future power. And in that case, Joe Biden just became infinitely more powerful because he's going to be the most powerful person in the world for four years. Kamala Harris has become infinitely more powerful because now she is either going to be vice president for eight years or going to have the inside track if Joe Biden indeed decides to step aside. Donald Trump, on the other hand, just went from 60 to zero. He has no more. This is pretty much it. So when everybody talks, the reason why I've I've hand-waved away the, like, Trump's going to stay in the White House and Willie leave stuff 
He's not going to have the ability to. To run a revolution, you need to have soldiers. And he's about to have an empty barracks. You can see it right now. You can see it uh, in, in Donald Trump Jr. yelling at senators and representatives to, to start standing up for Donald Trump and start talking about the same things he's talking about. Spoiler alert, they're not. Because this is what the shedding looks like. First, the opportunists. These are all of the people that were in the Republican Party that either openly loathed Donald Trump, <clears throat> Lindsey Graham, or eventually came around to him, Ted Cruz, who now have no more use. They were on the Trump train because Trump had a connection to voters that they didn't have. And so they stayed close to the campfire. If the campfire is going out, they're not just going to stand by a pile of wood. The second to go are the loyalists. These are people who did believe in Trump. These are people that went hard during the uh, impeachment, right? The, the, the Jim Jordans of the world. They wanted to be scions of the Trump revolution, largely because it got them on television. But I do think that they are a, a connection to the grievance-heavy working-class aesthetic that the GOP is morphing into. But again, they're going to have fights in D.C. going forward. Donald Trump may or may not be there. The last ones to go are always the fans. The people that love Donald Trump that really do believe in him, that think that he is a revolutionary, and they'll never speak ill, but are they going to post the memes in the same frequency? Or eventually, are they going to start to look at the crowd of people streaming out of the stadium and say, well, I guess we can beat traffic. That's the shedding of presidential power. Money and influence eventually whittled away to nothing because that future power now belongs to another. Oddly enough, there is one way he can gain his steam back and it's counterintuitive. He's got to concede and announce his campaign in 2024. Now he won't be a defeated president. He will be a man on a mission. Politics. They ask me, did I go deep in my bag? And I tell them, I sure did. You can always email us, uh, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. We begin with Matt. Matt says, so I'm trying really hard not to fall into partisanship talking points. So I figured I'd ask you, what is the narrative for Trump trying to stop the count? I legitimately don't understand what his position is here. Is he suggesting that the count be stopped so his lawyers can pick through the ballots and try to discount ones that might've been inappropriately deemed as valid? If that's the case, what's the reasoning for stopping the count? Wouldn't they need a complete count before they start contesting ballots? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, 
the, the, the problem is, is that once things get certified in general with elections, they're harder to bring back. So you'd always rather be in the position where you are not allowing votes to be certified than for votes to be certified and then you discount. It's just about where you're you're picking your fight. The the problem that is made more acute in this situation where we have so many mail-in ballots in places that don't normally do mail-in ballots is that they and this is really uh, on on the Trump administration and campaign for not coming up with a better phrasing for this, but it like what I think they wanted to say is all right we already know how in-person ballots are processed, but this is a strange anomaly and we need to look more into these ballots coming in because they're sus. And so that's why we need to stop the count so we can make sure we know what's happening. And the fact that that sentence was like 20 words of gobbledygook probably explains what a tough position they are with that. But yeah. That's why they would say stop the count. Dylan writes, over, under on Trump re-election post-mortem books uh, by the midterms. I actually wonder. I think we're going to get 27,000. But I wonder what the appetite's going to be. Like when this isn't a book about how bad you should feel about Trump being president. And instead, it's looking back and picking through everything. I don't know. Uh, a, a report today is that Brad Parscale is writing a book, and I would guess that if the if there's leaking to journalistic sources about it, that it is the Kushners that are afraid that uh, he's going to roast them. But I expect that there will be a lot of information about the Trump goings on because the Trump uh, apparatus was always very leaky. And now there's not going to be future power to hem them in. Richard writes, I know you'll be getting a lot of these emails today, so I'll keep it brief. Election day has always been a wonderful experience, and today was no different. Sunny skies, a little chill in the air, short lines, friendly poll volunteers, efficient voter management, and a sense of pride that my wife and I did our civic duty. No matter how the election turns out, I will be grateful to live in this city, county, state, and country. See, not all Richards are dicks. Josh writes, I've seen this going around as of late about how voter suppression efforts are actually hurting the GOP and therefore are not partisan. I've also been called overly partisan for pointing out that this is a GOP driven issue. This is hogwash. While I feel that they harm democracy as a whole, regardless of party, they are all being spearheaded by the GOP in a long running campaign to make it harder to vote in more populous areas. Just because people doubt the wisdom doesn't mean their party isn't the one perpetrating the attack on democracy. It's not my fault that they're doing it. I'm just saying what I see. The GOP is attacking democracy at its core. Also, will somebody please remind the GOP that we have never finished counting votes on election night, literally ever. We have always relied on projections for election night and the idea of stopping counts after midnight is absolutely insane. What I want to push back on with Josh here is that I really, really, really despised the idea of the the narrative that this is a normal election because it's not a normal election and it's plain to see it's not a normal election we did have increased mail-in voting 
we did have increased early voting. Like we had states, massive populous states that went 100 percent in their early and mail in voting before Election Day even showed up. So the idea that this was going to be a lopsided election in terms of how it was counted should have been noted. And instead we got like, this is normal. This is normal. This is normal. Here are all the other elections that weren't decided on election night. Yeah. Yes. And I think it would have been better for everybody if we were just upfront and honest about the fact that this was a weird election and it's fine. This is a weird year. There were reasons for it. We don't need to make them boogeyman reasons, but more insultingly, from my perspective, we also don't want to make this something where we're, we're, we're pretending that it's totally normal when, when I, I really don't think it was. Bruce writes, do you think AOC could head a coup? I mean, if your name is Chuck Schumer, Chucky, Chucky, who's looking over his shoulder? Chucky's not going to be the Senate Majority Leader. Most likely, that means he's ripe. By the way, Nancy Pelosi announced that uh, she is formally seeking two more years as Speaker of the House. Forever! That's going to be her reign. And finally, Ben writes, I wanted to send a note and let you know I really appreciate your show. Not only is it informative and entertaining, it's also my anchor of cynicism that keeps me from falling for some of the narratives that can be easy, easy to accept. I hope you're holding up well despite being in the bat countryest of bat countries. Uh, I am thrilled that I get the opportunity to do this show. Uh, honestly, it is the greatest. This year has been the greatest professional year of my life. And the fact that I have found you guys such an amazing, intellectually diverse and passionate audience is maybe the greatest thing that I have ever achieved in anything. Uh, the fact that it's been financially lucrative uh, uh, gives me the, 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 the grace to recognize my gifts beyond the money. So let me just say back at you. We have had a hell of a ride, but if, 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 if from this point on, we can ratchet down the tension a little bit, then I'm thrilled because I think that we've got a lot of road ahead of us in this transition, in these special elections in Georgia. There's a lot of really cool stuff coming up and I'm really excited in the same way that I was trepidatiously, uh, I was hopeful after the Trump win in 2016 that we could forge a new way. And now that we are past Trump, or maybe between Trump, I I really feel that now that that egg has cracked open even farther. And we have identified each other as people that we trust. You guys trust how I look at things. You, you find it interesting, and that's awesome. Because now that we got some money coming in, and hopefully this Rona... At some point, we'll, we'll kind of lessen a little bit, but 
I think we're going back on the road. We're, we're going back to finding where the story is. And I think that might be Georgia. Maybe even a swing through D.C. But through it all, you'll be able to email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to support this show, you can head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. Again, takepoliticsseriously.com. The show goes on. I'm not leaving. I'm not even leaving. Hell no. Come on, man. We still got a lot. We got a lot in front of us. Uh, uh, this is going to be a crazy year. And and like I said, I think that we are immediately going to hop into this mid-year cycle, a uh, midterm cycle with uh, uh, Republicans. Look, Republicans down ballot are pretty happy. We still have a rift in the Democratic Party with progressives and centrists, and I think that that's a rift that will only get larger when there is very little progressive representation in the Biden administration. It all is happening, and you can know about it each and every week. Two bonus episodes when you get on the $3 club at Take Politics Seriously. Dot com, including the next time that you'll hear from me on Monday. God knows we'll, where we'll be then. I presume that we're going to have a called election. Will Trump concede? We don't know. We don't know. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's where you need to go. Thank you, guys. Again, uh, been a hell of a year, and it's going to continue to be. In 2021, hmm. The best is yet to come. No one's using that phrase anymore, so I figured I'd pick it up. Returning to the show is one of my favorite, not only guests, just people. He is a writer. He has wrote for The Independent, The Indianapolis Star, The Dallas Observer. The natural, or sorry, the national interest. I'm sure he's a he's a natural at it as well. He's currently at the blaze welcome back to the show kevin ryan good to be here oh i i really like so uh, this is going to be kind of behind the curtain because i don't really know where we're at in in beyond just repeating things that are on the news (laughs) like i don't even really know where you know do we talk about recounts do we talk about uh you know the the transition do we talk about biden do we talk about the election do we talk about what went good and what went bad so i'll ask you what is top of mind for you this morning on uh november 6th it's crazy because you're spot on like i feel like i've been devoting so much time and attention and even just like taking little naps and stuff instead of getting a full night's sleep like I should. Uh, and even doing that, every time I wake up, there's there's a it's a totally different game. Like it's a it's a totally different thing. But what I'm focusing on, what I, and and the light I see at the end of the tunnel is that like whether you're anyone's candidate won or not, we as a, as an American people spoke and i think um what i'm reassured by is that we're all kind of agreeing that uh 
things were veering off into the fringes a little bit on both sides and that we, we just want like a little bit of boredom for a while or a little like a hint of normalcy. Yeah. Uh, and it, I think was, that's that's even more here. acute in in Corona times. Right. Yes. Like sure. that, that everything has kind of been weird. And so we want the idea of there being uh, some element of uh you know the, the 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 before times, but let let's let's zone in on that for a second. Then there seems to be this kind of double edged sword of whether or not the like, can we please go back to brunch now? Crowd mm-hmm. is a natural rubber band snapping back to the way it should be, or an implicit sort of rejection of the political activism that has dominated the last four years. That that. No matter what, whether or not you think that it went too far, there seems to be a, a collective idea that be you uh, a, a patriot for liberty or somebody who is is now newly awoken to racial justice, that we are thinking about the world more past the, you know, through the Trump administration. Where, where do you land on that? I The thing that I really like about the results of this election is that it sort of it it takes in it's we see that people took in all of that like we i think we sort of hopefully uh, we started working our way out of the binary which has been so divisive and i think that people kind of listened and watched and they weren't we weren't we weren't like completely swayed in one direction with absoluteness and that that's a good thing, man. It, it, it's it's like almost judicious. You know, we looked at all the details and we said, you know, tr- Trump was an interesting case study for like political scientists for the next thousand years. But, you know, maybe we need somebody who's a, a little less Trump uh, for the next four years just to. And Biden really I mean, you've you've talked about this quite a bit like Biden really didn't offer a whole lot. I mean, he he <laughs> handled, and by the way. That is one way to say it. He definitely did not offer a whole lot of, of concrete details beyond just the same sort of, uh, uh, you know, he is centrist Democrat fill in the blank. Like, uh, that is, you know, he wasn't exactly going to be running on bold policy proposals. Fill in the blank and it, like, right in the answer with a pencil because he's going to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I think one of the winners of the election was Justin Robert Young. <laughs> you well, I called thank you. so many things, dude. You were you were accurate in a time of no. Like, all right, hysteria. now you're gonna get me roasted because everyone's just gonna start emailing in all the things I totally screwed up. So uh, I, I I appreciate the feedback, but I do. Uh, I, I mean, look, it. The only thing I really think that I definitely had a read on was a Trump support was unwaverable and indeed it was going to grow because you'd have a lot of not necessarily never Trumpers like they didn't want to go out there and say that they were never Trumpers but people that didn't vote for the reality show host that would vote for the Republican president mm-hmm. um what I also uh you know, uh, I think around the time that I saw you in Tulsa had a beat on was, look, this, as soon as you saw that 
Trump couldn't fill an arena, like then you knew, oh, no, 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 Trump supporters care about this coronavirus thing on a level that I don't think the Trump campaign realizes. And when you look at the people that actually flipped this election, the suburbs, like they didn't react because of the law and order stuff. They reacted because they didn't think that Trump was, well, let me put it this way. Trump, it wasn't that Trump was doing a bad job with coronavirus. He was doing a chaotic job. And in a crisis, nobody wants, even if you are are going to get to the end in basically the same shape that you would with somebody that is very calm and reassuring, people want that. And 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 Trump was just way, way, way too chaotic throughout all this stuff as, uh, you know, evidenced by the fact that he changed his strategy three times. Definitely. And... I I personally think he he his response was pretty botched, and I think obviously most Americans agree with that. Um, it was too chaotic, and and you know that's almost like redundant to say when you're talking about Trump because he th- obviously thrives on chaos. He brings chaos, and I think th- there was part of us. There's like we're st- we're still all teenagers as a nation. And I think, like, we still need a little bit of chaos every once in a while, but, boy, things really got out of, got out of hand. Well, I mean, look, uh, chaos, everybody wants to hire a, a, a strolling magician when you're at your Christmas party for a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> Nobody needs a strolling magician when your house is on fire. <laughs> like, that's, uh, uh, that's, that, that, that's the, the, the chaotic act... I think is something that ages really, 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 really well when everyone's making money. Mm-hmm. And and for the vast majority of Trump's uh, presidency, they were. I mean, I think I, I, I very much believe that if coronavirus doesn't happen, Trump romps. Like, Definitely. Uh, uh, you know, if you look at what his support was beyond that, my God. The idea that uh, I think if if he was just able to run on look at these no idea Democrats, uh, uh, just keep keep the money printer going brr with Donald Trump was was a fairly compelling thing because it was almost a compelling enough thing to to put him over the top. So let me segue it here. Where is the state of the political media? Well, if you were to give the political media as a whole a grade for the four years of Trump, what would you give it? D minus, very poor. I think as a as an institution we failed, and you know both sides. Um, poor. I mean, just look at what. Just look at how Fox News handled the election. Like, um, and both sides were just depict depicting. They weren't listening to the American people and and how we feel. And the left got caught up in Twitter politics, and um, and I think the that you can see that that wasn't um, effective in the rejection of the progressive narrative or the progressive agenda, you know, especially in the House, but also like you know the Senate looks like it's going to go to to stay with Republicans. Well, I mean that that comes after we get not one but two Georgia special elections in uh you know for, for for control of the Senate, which is going to be the new as soon as the smoke clears on on whatever's happening with this election, 
Uh, boy, howdy, are we going to see a lot of money being dumped into the Peach State. Oh, I mean, uh, this, this is just crazy, dude. 2020 has just been the – it's like a cocaine-fueled uh, Stephen uh, – uh, I don't know. It's just a crazy. <laughs> no, now I need to know year. what Stephen. What Stephen were you? What 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 Stephen uh, was Stephen cocaine? King. Stephen, Stephen King. King. Okay. It's like a cocaine fueled Stephen King novel. There we go. Okay. Like, it's like too many twists, bro. Like fewer twists. Like throw some Proust in there and, and slow things down and make it <laughs> a, a, a little more more esoteric. I've just, it was like, it was like a, if it were a sports game, I'd be like, Nah, man, this has to be made up somehow. Yeah, I, 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 I really, I really wonder kind of where we go, because there's one element of this that I think people have yet to fully wrap their head around, and that is, like, we have operated in the center. All right, so here, the most provocative way to say the point I'm about to make is, y'all are gonna miss Trump, what, and, yeah. and I'm specifically talking to the people that hate him. Y'all are going to miss Trump. So the less provocative way to say it is there's no arguing that we've lived in a Trump-centric universe for five years, for half a decade. Uh, he has dictated everything. everything. And he is going to still be here, but there's no doubt that it will become less of a focus than it is now. And there will be some people that will just say, oh, I'm just blocking him. Now, how the media responds to him, that kind of is, is, is the big wild card. But, man, when I look at my timeline today on Twitter, and by and large I follow mostly liberal people, uh, it, is, it is a yub-nub of, of the highest Ewok order as the second Death Star <laughs> explodes in the sky. And I don't, <clears throat> I, I don't know if they'll ever... If 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 politics will bring them joy like that again, <laughs> that's the the hidden joy of it is what they have to let go of, uh, because it's like um, Michelle Wolf said that really well at the correspondence dinner a couple years ago. She's like, "You guys just need to admit that you're obsessed with each. You know, you're obsessed with Trump. You love Trump, and and I think it's like." Conservative media is going to benefit from a Biden win because it's like, OK, now you guys get they the can go back. I mean, like, let's 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 be fair here. Conservative media, which really, you know, uh, settled by Rush, super Nova with Clinton and then found like it, it, it IPO'd with Obama. Right. Like now it, it became bedrock. uh you know, a, a bedrock um, uh, cornerstone of our media landscape under Obama. My God, uh, uh, we're we're going to see it flourish because it is by its nature an opposition mm -hmm. uh, organization. Like they are there to pick apart things. They they're never really great at uh, defending the fort, or at least they're less comfortable, in my opinion. With Trump, it was great because there was much – I mean there was a lot of that reaction, um, that reaction work that you were just talking about. Yeah. But there was also more room for creativity, and that's like – that's kind of how I, I landed there is this um, – you know, I've worked in all kinds of newsrooms uh, on 
every side of the the political spectrum and um i i have found it so far conservative media to be like a very far more open-minded um which really surprised me uh, but I, i'm i'm welcoming it and there's there's a lot more room for like you can complain about the on the left i found that a lot of editors would change my any message i had especially if it was critical of the left yeah i haven't found that it, at least not with the same intensity i haven't found that in conservative media well cuz the left the, the left leaning sources have more talent coming through because by and oh, large if you're going true. to the places that produce journalists and and writers and and you went to writer school and i went to journalist school they're all pretty much liberal your your professors are liberal like everybody is kind of liberal so it's like if if you come to a conservative outlet and you're a great writer they're like sure whatever like we're happy talents here like like they're kind of like a uh, uh, smaller market teams uh, in baseball or something like that if if for whatever reason you know you can hit uh, uh awesome we're really 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 excited to have you we'll, we'll pay you a competitive wage and maybe we'll look the other way if you're smoking weed in the in in, in the dugout uh oh big time it, like, that happens in the dugout by the way <laughs> yes exactly but i think for you know if you're if you're the atlantic if you're the new yorker if you're uh, some of these outlets it's not like you're ever not going to have a lot of talent knocking on your door because the the talent reads you and wants to be there like uh and and so i i wonder where that goes i wonder where conservative media uh goes if if they i mean obviously the the natural path would be to just double down Congra if, if congratulations we're going to be picking through that hunter biden's laptop for the next four years <laughs> um but maybe it does continue to to you know get odd i mean i think that there is a reckoning in 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 the republican party on exactly how much trump ism or or populism is going to be in that party going forward what what is what is your sense there uh but uh, you know how much did trump erode uh the republican party being a country club party over the last four years so uh with regard to the, your first point because i think it was a really good one about um the state of the media right now okay yeah i think the level of talent you're absolutely right i you know and i have i have friends who contribute regularly to to new yorker and, and and the atlantic and they're all insanely talented i feel like a lot of the talent on the left right now it has been wasted like um you know i've been reading the atlantic and the new yorker for years and the last three or four years it's just like it hasn't been fun like oh uh, god no it, jesus the Atlantic, I mean, like the, the, Atlantic the, Atla been, the Atlantic's in a dark place, very dark. And I don't it makes me sad because like, it's let me. Such all right. Here we go. Here. Yeah, right, folks, get ready. Get ready for inside journalism talk. This is you're going to hear a talk the way that journalists actually talk to each other uh, about other media outlets. The Atlantic has sucked and it's sucked it's for so a bad. couple of years now. Yeah, it's I, I think it's a lot of it's uh, Jeffrey Goldberg coming in and just like making it his personal mission to turn one of the most important um, publications in America, a staple of American journalism, to turn it into a personal, a, an instrument of like personal vendetta. Yeah. 
like a, a distaste for Donald Trump. I mean, distaste is a, is a, a sick understatement for what is what he's been going through and what the Atlantic has embodied. And that's like it's yeah, it's and that's hatred. and that and that is what it is, right? But you have to understand that that comes at the expense of a clearinghouse for one of the last clearinghouses for that kind of writing. Like if yeah. the New Yorker and the Atlantic go away, like long form writing is is dead, right? Like where else is it? Like like it has disappeared. Most magazines have disappeared in general. So the feature writing uh, uh, space is kind of bereft. Uh, there really are only one or two brand names, and those are it. That's the Coke and Pepsi of that entire genre. And the fact that it has, and which is, look, the New Yorker and the, and the Atlantic have always had a liberal New York City-centric kind of bent to it. It has, it has a coastal elite bent to it, which is part of its charm. But my God, the fact that it, it became a, a, a worse, ver and I mean this honestly, because I think Mother Jones has better writing. It's a worse version of Mother Jones. Mother Jones has actually been impressive lately. Yeah, um, I've liked Mother Jones lately. Because they have storytelling still. Like the New Yorker and the Atlantic have – the a lot of the writers have become so hysterical that they've forgotten that their job is to be a storyteller. First of all, you have to tell a good story. I Like I don't care what a, a writer's political leanings are. If they present it in a compelling way – and this is why I think Harper's – has been killing it. I think of every publication, Harper's has been the best, and it's because they've retained that, and yeah. they've retained like the the kind of glowing elements of literary nonfiction that everybody secretly needs. Yes, speaking as somebody who writes literary nonfiction, uh, but I agree with you. I, I very exactly. much. Yeah, I'm trying to. Keep, I'm trying to keep the professional. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're like a meth dealer, be being like, like "Why aren't we taking more?" We need more meth. America <laughs> needs meth. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I actually agree with you. I think that there is, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's some, there's some real import to that, and um, hopefully, spoiler alert, uh, in, 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 in the offing, Kevin and I are working on a thing that hopefully will, uh, will kind of. Push that forward a little bit, but let me let me go back to the point that I was, uh, uh that I was uh, spinning off to, and I'm gonna keep stalling until I remember exactly what it was. Uh, the, that's the beauty of our conversation. Exactly. Too. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure it was me wondering about where. Oh yeah, how much did four years of Trump take the Republican Party out of the country club? Because that's like. The, the Lincoln Project, uh, uh, you know, everything that, that has kind of gone on since then, the, the Never Trumpers that have left were really the establishment Republicans. And if you look at the results of what happened uh, on Tuesday, the Republican Party is far more working class than it has been in a very, very long time. The Democrats are beginning to shrink more into a... Uh, higher educated party. I think that they had the winning hand for a lot of reasons with Biden versus Trump. But if you look down ballot, 
I don't know if you would rather want to have the Democratic brand versus the Republican brand. One brand looks like it's in ascendancy. Uh, spot on. And I think I think what happened, you know, it's the question of will Trumpism survive Trump? And I think a better way to frame it is like Trump came in and like we expected him to do, he was a bull in a china shop and the china shop is pretty messed up right now. Yeah. But it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, he, he's not the only one that was is responsible for that. I think the the left's response to Trump really outed a lot of people and sort of disgusted a lot of Americans. Like, I I think the whole critical theory approach to politics is not appealing to the country that, you know, uh, John Wayne is from. Like, there's still a John Wayne spirit in us. And um, while I think critical theory and, and like, um, you know, post-colonial colonial theory and a lot, a lot of those ideas have a place. I think that um, it's it's not uh, it, it's not in our government at the moment, well, and, and I, I don't think it should be at least not yet. Let's hash the ideas out a little more. Well, I mean, I think the the most fascinating conversation that I've seen was over the term Latinx mm-hmm. that you saw increases really across the board of support for Republicans, both for Trump and down ballot with Latinos. And one of the conversations that I saw pop up on social media was like, yeah, you want to know why? Because Latinx is something that academics say to each other and that you apologize for saying Latinos instead of Latinx at, and I hate to, Uh, antagonize brunch again but brunch and let me just say this i love brunch and i would love to go back to brunch at at some point uh uh, but i live in the bay area so who knows exactly when that'll happen again uh that being said if it's only an academic thing you can't just assume that what is happening in college educated academic circles translates to working class people and that was an example of a, a group for which, like, nobody in Hialeah is going to say Latinx, right? Nobody in the Rio Grande Valley is going to say Latinx. Nobody in East L.A. is going to say Latinx. And despite the fact that all three of those are different uh, uh, cultural uh, pockets of Hispanic Americans, uh, which is another problem, like, there is a gap between where the baseline of the Democratic leadership is going, where, like, Kamala Harris is not going to say anything but Latinx because she wants to make sure that she is staying on the right side of the loudest people in her party, and where those voters are. that There is a gulf there, even in just the language. I am actually happy to see that. And I, you know, Wall Street Journal had a great op-ed yesterday about one of the biggest losers of the election is identity politics. And, and we can spend all day getting into that. But yeah. I think um, I think the condescension of um, the, the literati and, and and academics is not appealing to most Americans. And I and 
I think a lot of academics would would respond by saying, well, they just don't understand it. And it's and I would respond by saying that's exactly what they understand. That attitude. Yeah. Of, you know, the oh, the the, the peasants, you know, we're going to we're going to act like we're championing the rights of the people, but we're also going to treat them like they're total idiots. Uh, and I don't think um, I don't think people are fooled by the admittedly impressive uh, vocabulary and all, and a lot of the uh, neologisms that you're going to find in uh, the academic environment, and and I'm not I'm I disagree with conservatives when they when they say when they rail against uh, academia. I think that's dangerous. I think I think we need academics, and uh, you know maybe we could use a little more uh, diversity of thought politically, but that's. That's ultimately on conservatives to, to step up and do that. And, and there are conservatives in academia who, who are doing just that. But it's like, you know, it, it takes a little while to, to make that change. And if, if you want it, then you got to go into the humanities. I mean, like you, you hear conservatives criticizing various communities for, you know, not getting involved and being critical. So I think they need to, you know, take one of their own lessons. Um, because it is such an essential institution, I am reassured that uh, by people's response in this election that they didn't just accept the the more radical ideas that you find on campuses. And I well, learned yeah. those. I mean, in grad school, those that was like that was the focus, especially on on the theory side of things. On the more practical journalistic side, there there wasn't a whole lot of that. I mean, there were there were hints of it, you know, like, but I think ultimately it, it was like a it's a qualitative insistence. It's not it's not based in qu quantitative methods. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think when it comes to all that, uh, <laughs> I. I really, really, really. Don't know what the what 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 i mean uh, all right i don't know how much we need to pay attention to anything right in general this is like my biggest thing about like our modern world and social media where everything is reading french philosophy dude yeah all right so so in our world where we can deep dive into one thing and make it the universe like a bunch of ding dongs in uh, Phoenix start banging their hands on uh, uh, the, 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 the counting facility. It could be eight people for five seconds, but the way it's shot, the way it's spread, it looks like the LA riots. Uh, and and I, I, I wonder about exactly like, okay, are we just looking for the thing that we're going to be mad about so we can spread it and be mad? And I would say academia is part of that now i have very very strident opinions on exactly how worthwhile college is specifically in regards to the price and what it does to a generation of people uh that are now basically set behind five years financially uh all for the benefit of these really really corrupt awful institutions but that being said how much do we really care about the fact that all of the ivory tower is super liberal. How much do we really care about 
some uh, Karen in Milwaukee saying that uh, Woody, the the uh, Toy Story character, is based on a racist trope. Like, <laughs> is is the lesson we need to learn uh, a more measured idea of of just because someone said it doesn't mean it matters. Definitely. And there are, I'm, I'm glad to see that too. I think that was one of the major takeaways. And I think one thing that one of the positive things with Trump leaving is that maybe Twitter will have less power because he's the one, I mean, he, he kept Twitter alive. It was like a failing platform until he it wasn't he used failing. It. I mean, it was, it, no, yeah. it was, it was, it was growing and it, it really hasn't grown particularly all that much but twitter will always be a thing because all the media is on there definitely which and is probably why it's probably why we problem. got on there as early as we did for sure and, and it's incredibly useful and that's what feels a little weird to me i, I do a lot i criticize twitter using twitter a of lot course. Because, you know, no yeah there's, and there's a whole other blab there's like parlor which is literally just a twitter clone to bitch about twitter but you're not doing <laughs> it on twitter yeah i I think it's gotten too powerful and I and the media is the media are responsible for that. And I think we need to, to sort of separate Twitter and uh, journalism. They've gotten a little too cozy because I think Twitter is ultimately like a um, it's a forum for a forum for activism. Well, sure, sure. Although I do think that we have gotten slightly better. Like we're not doing my least favorite story over the you know tens was the something happened last night now let's find the worst people on twitter and just quote their tweets like just to show you that the world is awful like like uh, uh lebron james won the championship let's search twitter for the n-word and lebron james and find everybody who put those two things together like not to say that I, I want to protect the people that use the N-word and LeBron James in the same thing, but I don't think that that's particularly interesting journalism. I, I think it's uh, really lowest common denominator stuff where at the end of the day, when you really break down what's happening beyond the fact that, oh, let's point out racism where, where it exists. It's like, yeah, it's 13-year-olds. You know, uh, are we going to really feel great because we highlighted a 13 year old who might be from a broken home saying something awful? Yeah. And I think a lot of these people haven't uh, sat through a, a Call of Duty chat room. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, you learn that you learn which microphones to mute. Yes. Um, and I I think there I think there is more of that. I think that has gotten better. You know, and I think there still is that let's embed these crazy tweets, but it's mostly f you you don't see a lot of like the anime pictures uh, yeah. profiles. Yeah, I, I think I think that's kind of gone away. But but the the bigger problem I would say with Twitter, and I fall into this, is that I will be on Twitter plying my trade, like and and thank thank God uh, by the grace of Patreon go I that I can ply my trade just talking about what I think about uh, uh, politics, but I'll be looking at my empty audition file where all I have to do is say what I'm typing into Twitter into a microphone, and then I can publish it for money, and I'm not. 
I'm giving away what I do for a living on Twitter for free because we're all addicted to this website for this imaginary clout of like, oh, I don't know, but maybe other people will think I'm smart and this is where they all are looking for it. I've lost several stories for that reason because I'm I I didn't let them I didn't slow down enough. I was like, hey, this is a good idea. I'm just gonna shoot it straight to Twitter. And and then after I was like, oh I guess I can't use that as a story now. Yeah, I wasted it on a tweet, but yeah. it also is such an important platform. Unfortunately, it's it's a reality for us. We have to use Twitter, and, and there are some good elements to that. But oh, Twitter you're right, rules! Dude. I I I really, I mean, the more that it, it it just becomes clear that every lesson I learned in a toxic forum when I was a teenager is applicable <laughs> as an adult, and a bunch of people haven't learned all those lessons. Like, I, I feel like I'm I am a uh, 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 super powered on Twitter. Like, just the ability to not let things get under my skin, uh, and and to just know how to intentionally troll people who want to make annoying or bad faith arguments. Like, oh God, chef's kiss. Well, and that's the other thing. Like there, there is a, a meritocracy to Twitter. Like, um, and it, it still exists in journalism. Like, you have to be good. You have to have a point that enough people are at least uh, intrigued by to gain a following. And yeah. and in, in that sense, I I admire it. Like, you you still have to be good, or, or you you have to have something interesting to offer. Well, something interesting to offer is something that we always know is around the corner with Kevin Ryan. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, joining us, Kevin. Uh, I always know, I, I know you got uh, uh, some cool stuff coming up. Anything uh, immediately in the offing for you, writing wise? Nothing immediately. Um, I'm working on an op-ed about Borat. Oh, uh, nice. The uh, ethical implications of comedic journalism. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. Uh, right now, it's just. Same as you, man. Glued to the Glued TV, to the TV, to, to the to the op-eds, to all that. So, God bless man, America. Man, I'll tell you I, what. I'm I'm almost glad that we didn't talk about Bart because I could go another half hour on on. Uh, I got so many questions about Borat. I got so many, including like, all right, real quick. No, we can't do it because it'll go another ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, 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 next time. Next time, Kevin. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Thank you to everybody who supports the show at TakePoliticsSeriously.com, including our Titanic $10 tier. Lord Generic Frenchman, Dr. G, Jacob Wilson, Dallas Danger Taylor, Zombie Doc, Gazer Beam, Utah Jimmy Montana, Captain Bunzo, Cujo Tally, Richard, Memory Pie App, Crookie McCrookface, Justin Ryan Egan, D Laser, Matt Who Called from Labor and Delivery, Starfleet for Biden, Jason with Magnolia, Delta Credit Card Processing, Nobody Expects the Dismal Science Podcast, Katie, Vote for Joe Biden 2020, Rob, Vote for Gloria Young 2020, Thanks for voting Trump 2020. Martin, Government Unfiltered. Neil Patel. Archie Darren, Daily Tech News Show. Adam, David, Jacob, DL, Stephen, Kyle. Chad, Miranda, Jenny, Robert, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners. Dustin, David. Uh, Ed the Goose. Huh? Just another pilot, middle aged Mike, the Jen. MacBook Pro, Leon, Frozen Summers, 
Andrew, Matthew, and James. If you'd like your name read at the end of the program, this is where you go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com and get on that Titanic $10 tier. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at px3tweets. That's the new home for not only the podcast, but also the live stream and the newsletter. And, uh, you know, email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Till next time, maybe we'll have a president-elect. I don't know. Maybe. Is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this is the only program that talks about Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.